Broadcasting from the Prairie Sportsman Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. <clears throat> We're not just a radio show anymore. Heck yeah. This is Sporting Journal Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on this station right here. Don't forget you can follow us or watch our shows on our Sporting Journal Radio YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe to the podcast everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. You can do that by clicking on the subscribe page at SportingJournalRadio.com. That's Dan Amundsen over there. Dan, how you doing? I'm tired. <laughs> I'm whooped. Man, it is uh, the end of our trip in Saskatchewan. It has been a, a long trip up here. It's been a good one, and we have been hunting hard. We've been fishing, and there's there hasn't been much much like our last trip to Saskatchewan. Not much sleep going on. Well, it's uh it's hard to sleep when you're in such a cool place, and you don't want to see the sun go down because you want to just keep enjoying it. Absolutely, and we we have enjoyed it. We'll recap it here for you a little bit. Uh, we'll we've also been filming for all this, so we put some reels up on the Sporting Journal Radio. Instagram channel, Instagram page. You can watch stuff there or watch for more content coming out on our YouTube channel as well. Uh, This week, we're going to talk about that USDA changing the import ban. Uh, They've put some rules on if you're going to be hunting in Canada this year, what you can do to bring waterfowl back. We'll, we'll, We'll go down those rules coming up in the show. It's been just a gong show, as they'd say up here in Canada. Uh, we'll also talk to Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism, get a fall fishing report from him. Randon Olson will join us probably to talk about muskies, I would assume. And we're also going to talk about fishing line that comes from people that build aerospace products. They have aerospace technology. They make fishing line, tough line. It's Eric Knickerbocker. Uh, he's going to join us uh, to talk all about this fishing line. We got to hang out with him when we were at the Mustad booth down at ICAST this year. So uh, Eric is going to talk about how they, they went from building stuff for outer space to line that you put on your reel when you go chase fish around. So Eric is coming up in just a little bit. Dan, who are the sponsors this week? Oh yeah, I forgot about that part again. Uh, we've got a Haybell Heights campground and resort on Devil's Lake. Book a trip to Devil's Lake at haybellheights.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan a trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. On X, nor you stand with On X. Bin Migration Outfitters, I, I can't find my list, so I'm going off the top of my head. Bin Migration Outfitters, uh, come hunt out of heated 10-man pits and comfortable wines with You're us. You're doing great, by the way. Thanks. Thanks for interrupting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, come hunt waterfall with us this fall. Uh, learn more at midmigrationoutfitters.com. Uh, Prairie Sportsman, watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel or check your TV guide for air times. I, I got them all. Okay, did you get Camp Grayling? Oh, I didn't get Camp Grayling. I forgot about that. All right. We didn't go there. Well, go fish Camp Grayling next summer. There you go. Saskatchewan. Fishcampgrayling.com. All right. uh, So we did some fishing in Florida this year when we were down at ICAST, and we're going to talk to uh, Eric Knickerbocker about his job here in just a second. But first, we have to talk about what the USDA did because we came up here to Tobin Lake to do some fishing. We're staying at Trails End Outfitters on Tobin Lake. And we came up here a week before the hunting season started, which was September 1st. And we planned on doing some fishing. And then we were going to travel around the province and chase waterfowl around. And we get up here. And on the second day of the season, we find out that we can no longer bring meat, bring birds back into the United States. So 
that was a bad decision. It was done late at night, Friday night, after hours, on a holiday weekend. You've probably heard about it. It was uh, kind of a disaster, a a public relations nightmare for the USDA. So 10 days later, September 12th, they come out and make an announcement that says, well, wait a minute. Actually, yeah, you can bring them in, but there's a list of things you need to do. And to be honest, I don't know how close the list is to what it It's very similar to the old rules. But there are some new rules attached to it. And we're going to go through those here in just a second. But in the meantime, nobody knew what to do. There were some hunters from the states that were up here already, including us. Uh, There were some people that were making plans. Nobody really knew what to do. So we're lucky that we were staying in Canada after this next announcement. But here we are trying to figure out what to do with our meat and we're eating it. Normally we just eat it all while we're up here anyway. And we ate most of it, but we had some Canada goose and you called the USDA, Dan. Yep. And they told me that to bring it back, we had to cook it. And so that could be whatever you cook it in a crock pot. You could do this or you could make it into sticks or jerky at a, at a butcher. And that's but, what they said. And they passed you around. They didn't really know what to tell you, though. Well, no, they. I had like seven different phone numbers. It's an exaggeration, but a few different phone numbers to call. And finally got a hold of the, it was a customer service rep. And he's like, well, by from my understanding, it has to be cooked. And so that's not necessarily something. It wasn't the most reassuring answer I got because they're confused. They don't know. It's, it's a big agency and decisions were made. And I'm sure they had a thousand of the same questions from hunters like us. And got sick of it and that's what they understood and now it's completely different yeah, they probably that guy probably had no idea he probably just made it up so it's like huh, jokes on you american yeah so we have no idea what to do and they tell us cook that's the message on the phone it wasn't an official announcement but that was a message that we got is that it could be cooked so we made a bunch of sticks and we cooked some some uh goose obviously we ate a bunch of it and then on september 12th they come out and say uh, wait a minute. You can bring your birds back, but cooked or cured meat and meat products, for example, sausage, jerky, etc., will not be allowed to import as U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service requirements cannot be met to identify the species of wild bird. Now, I don't know what the rules are at the border. Maybe they have to count your birds to make sure you're within the Canadian limits. But to me, the way I've always understood it is if I'm hunting in Minnesota and I shoot you know, my, my limit of Canada geese and I've got another day's limit in my freezer, whatever. Once I process that meat and make it into sticks or jerky or whatever, it no longer counts against my limit, my possession limit. So I don't know why if a guy made sticks up here, I don't know why the U S government would care about the number of birds I'm bringing back once it's processed, because at that point it doesn't count against your limits. Now, maybe there's some weird stuff at the border. I haven't, I haven't waterfall hunted in Canada enough to know if there's a weird thing about bringing Canadian limits into the States and they have to count, they have to count your birds for you. But the way I understand it in the United States, once your meat is processed, it no longer counts against your limit. So I don't know why, you know, Canadian officials should be checking your limits as far as I'm concerned up here. And then once I get into the States, I know when we fish, they have always counted our fish fillets at the, at the border. So maybe that's a job of U.S. Uh, fish and Wildlife or Customs to, to count to make sure you're within your limits. But I, I wouldn't that be more about limit? I, I don't know. It's, it's all con- very confusing. And now 
don't make make sticks, don't make sticks, cook it, don't cook it, whatever. But if you're going to bring birds back, unprocessed, hunter-harvested wild game bird carcasses originating from or transi- transiting Canada must meet the following conditions. Uh, viscera, head, neck, feet, skin, and one wing have been removed and feathers have been removed with the exception of the one wing as required by U.S. Fish and Wildlife. They have to be able to identify the bird. I understand that. Carcasses must be rinsed in fresh, clean, potable water prior to packaging and must not have visible evidence of contamination with dirt, blood, or feces. And carcasses must be imported in leak-proof plastic packaging and stored in a leak-proof cooler or container during transport and import. And carcasses must be chilled or frozen during transport and import. They also recommend that any boots and any equipment used to process the carcasses should be clean and visibly free from dirt, blood, tissue, and feces. So make sure you wash your boots before you come back. If you got a bird that you want to mount, it must be fully finished or accompanied by a VS import permit or consigned directly to a USDA-approved establishment. Hunters may find an approved taxidermy establishment by visiting uh, the... That website. The vet... The Veterinary Services Process Streamlining search page and search for a taxidermist with the HPAI product code in your state. So there's there's uh, the uh, bird flu, avian flu. The high was a highly pathogenic avian influenza. HPAI is that right? Sure, <laughs> sounds good. So that's affecting a lot of turkey farms. That's big egg. There's a lot of money involved with that. They have a lot of influence. They're going to do everything they can to protect. Uh, livestock, poultry, whatever the case may be, if there's a threat, that's where this all comes from. It's all about money, which I understand. I've got friends that work in the turkey uh, farm industry. I'm, I understand they need to protect it, and it's bad, man. Once it once it spreads to one, it seems to spread to a lot of them. But birds that can fly themselves from Canada to the United States, I don't know how us bringing back, doing anything different, bringing back our, our hunter-harvested birds would make any difference. Well, you know, so many hunters go waltzing around turkey farms that in our, <laughs> in our boots that we use to clean birds that. So we're going to, our hunting boots are going to contaminate those farms, you know, obviously. Well, at least now, uh, everyone's calling us a big win uh, because, yes, now you can bring your birds back from Canada. So that's great. They yeah. big, like, big props to Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfall. I know Ducks Unlimited wrote a letter to the USDA. So big props to them. That's why we like those organizations. They they work for hunters and yeah. the ducks. No, it, it's great news. The only thing we take issue with is they, the mixed messaging and the fact that they told us one thing and now they're telling us another thing. And I just, there's there's a few things. And, and maybe it's my fault for just not understanding the process better. But um Something seems a little little weird in that whole process. It's a government organization. It's anyway, going to seem weird. Don't let this stop you from enjoying Canada or the province we're in, Saskatchewan, for uh, some of your fall hunting and fishing activities because we've had an absolute blast up here. We're filming a bunch of stuff. Watch for it on our YouTube channel, and we've been posting stuff on our Facebook and Instagram. Lots of reels. That's a, that's a thing all the kids are doing these days, Dan, the reels. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I know it's not TikTok. I know that's your favorite. Yeah. I like my Instagram pictures. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dan's so mad. Like, Instagram wants reels. So that's what I've got one reel on my Instagram page now. It's got almost 100,000 views. Dan just refuses because he's like, I like pictures. You're a photographer, too. You I should like be turtles. mad. You yeah. should be mad. Well, as I well. understand that Instagram was for photographers, but you know what? It's a private business. They can do what they want with it. 
And uh, our job is to uh, to show people some cool stuff. And if they're well, going to... Then I'm going to keep showing them pictures. <laughs> yeah. You keep doing that. All right. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Search for Sporting Journal Radio. All right. Um, we're, we've got Joe Henry coming up with the Lake of the Woods report. Also, Randon Olson talking muskies and Eric Knickerbocker when we come back. Is that right, Dan? Sure. All right. Stay there. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app, just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx, know where you stand with Onyx Hunt. All right, well, we spent some time down in Orlando earlier this year doing some fishing and some working while we were down there at ICAST. Dan and I were down there working with uh, Mustad and Live Target and also Toughline. And uh, we roomed with the sales manager from Western Filament, who's behind the Toughline brand. That's Eric Knickerbocker, and he joins us right now here on the show. Eric, how you doing? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Sounds like you've been just as busy as we have been this summer. Absolutely. It's been a busy year for sure. An unprecedented year nonetheless, uh, but busy. Well, I want to talk about Tough Line and I want to talk about Western Filament because my favorite, so I was, you know, doing some of the the speaking about the, the new products at ICAST this year. So I had to, I had to learn a little bit about Western Filament and Tough Line. And the best was when you and I were sitting there uh, where we were staying in this, at this place, we were staying while we were down there at ICAST. And you were telling me about it, and what the line was: if you can, if we can trust it in space, you can trust it on your reel. And I was like, oh, I got to write this down. Like this is, this is brilliant. And that's, I mean, that's it in a nutshell. Because what you guys do is create products for space, right? Correct. Yeah. So, so a little, little background on Western Filament. Uh, we've been in business since 1938. Uh, we were originally in Glendale, California, and the mayor of Grand Junction, Colorado, which is a town on the western slope of Colorado, uh, was sitting next to the owner of Western Filament. Uh, and they were just BSing back and forth about what each other did for a living. And, you know, the our town is really heavily reliant on the oil and gas industry. And so... Um, the mayor was like, hey, we would love to have more manufacturers like yours uh, in our town to kind of keep more sustainable jobs. So we'll give you a big cut on taxes and uh, some land in this new business development if you pick up your company and move it. And so he said, absolutely, let's do it. And so 1990, um, the company moved from California to Western Colorado. And ironically, the same street and business park they were in uh, we have five or six other manufacturing companies that followed us from California to Grand Junction. Um, and it's some pretty impressive operations for sure. You, if you saw our factory and saw, you know, seven, 8,000 braiders that are running 24 seven in this huge building, you would be baffled to think that it's ever in a town like Grand Junction. And, and that goes for all the other manufacturers that are on our street. You know, one of them's a company called Reynolds Palmer. And they make the world's largest fish aquariums. Hmm. Uh, you know, they make panels that are three and a half feet thick and they're building nine story tall aquariums for malls. And, 
it's pretty cool to be able to see them release, you know, pieces of those tanks out when they're shipping it. That's all happening in our town, all based off of a conversation with the mayor and our <laughs> old owner. And so it's kind of cool to see that history and how everybody moved to this town uh, because of that. Well, I'm not surprised but, that I'm not surprised that business has moved out of California. Let's let's just we'll make that point because that's happening all over the place. That's pretty cool. And did you say nine and a half story aquariums? Yes, for sure. Holy smokes. I know that a lot of probably listeners on this podcast uh, go see shields. Um, So most shields, at least the ones that are close to us, the one in Loveland, uh, Colorado, which is the second largest sporting goods store in the world, or at least in America, um, they have a huge pillar fish aquarium that you walk under when you enter in the store. And uh, Reynolds Palmer, the company that's right next to ours, built that aquarium. So if you ever wanted to see some of their work, just go on a shields. No kidding. I'm very familiar with shields. We, we go back a long ways. I, I did radio in Fargo and they were, you know, headquartered up in Fargo. So I know those guys pretty well. That's, but they don't have a walk under aquarium up there though. I'm going to have to, you have to get on that. They're going to have to pull one in. Dan, what's that Dan? Eden, Eden Prairie. The new Eden Prairie store has one. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so, that aquarium was built right down the street from us. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Well, you guys, I mean, we were just looking at the Western Filament uh, website, and anytime you can put the NASA logo on your website, you're doing some cool things, I think. And you were telling me, and I want to, I want to segue this into fishing line and tough line, of course. But I'm looking at all this uh, nylon twine and uh, cord, and some, some of this, uh, some of these different products that you have on there. And you were telling me that you guys make some. I can't remember what you some cables maybe that actually will put fires out or something. What I can't remember. Tell me what that was. Yeah, for sure. So like overall as a business, we sell to the aerospace industry, the medical industry, automotive, military, and outdoors. Those are pretty much all of our target markets. And there's a lot of symmetry, honestly, between all of them, believe it or not. Um, aerospace predominantly we're making what's called expandable sleeving so if you picture a wire bundle and the sleeving is covering over the outside of the wire bundle to help it with abrasion and protect the wire harness and then we make what's called lacing tape which is basically a textile zip tie Um, and usually that's going into a, a highly flammable area of the aircraft so like the fuselage um and we make a lot of material that's out of a, a material called polyamid meta aramid and that material itself when it catches on fire it'll emit a smoke that will choke the oxygen out of that area and then uh actually put the flame out so if an airplane catches on fire the material that we're utilizing to hold the wire bundles together will actually uh put the flame out on the aircraft so it's really really high tech cool products so that's amazing well and that it makes sense if you guys are making products like that to get into the fishing world and when you talk about even braided fishing line and this new slow pitch jigging line from tough line was uh was a new product this year at nps at uh, at icast and it was it was eight carrier braid and it was uh you know you were trying to make it as strong as possible yet as small in diameter as possible as well yeah exactly so um, 
just a little bit of background on where we, how we've gotten to maybe even this construction for the SPJ line. So uh, Western Filament was actually the first ever company to pioneer super lines today. So when we see braided fishing lines that are on the market today, we would consider a lot of them called super lines. Those are made out of a material that's called ultra high molecular weight polyethylene. And that material was originally released to kind of service the kite flying market. Hmm. So guys that are out in the field flying kites, they wanted a really small diameter line that has virtually no stretch and really high tenacity so that you can load a lot of line on your kite reel um, and you're not getting the bouncing uh, issues of the stretch like you would with monofilament per se. So we got some of this material in uh, and our president, he was actually the sales manager at the time. He was an avid outdoorsman. He's like, I want to go fish some of this line. This seems kind of amazing. And so he did. He went out and fished it and he absolutely loved it. He said, this is incredible. We need to make a fishing line out of this. I don't know what we're going to call it. Um, and he just kept fishing it. And he kept saying, like, this is the ultimate fishing line. And he wrote that down and he looked at what he wrote down. Oh. And E-U-F for the ultimate fishing line would be an acronym for tough line. And so that's how the name tough line came about because this material was incredibly tough, incredibly strong, and it is the ultimate fishing line material. So hence the name tough line is an acronym. I know that everybody thinks that we just can't spell, but you know, <laughs> there's a backstory to that. And that's kind of how that name came about, which is pretty cool and all stemmed with kite line hmm. so progress forward till now this material this uhmwpe material it's getting further developed and you know we're able to kind of work with our raw material suppliers to get some of the absolute highest grade uh polyethylene material that's going to be in the smallest diameter and the highest tenacity and so when we were developing the SPJ line uh, with Mustad, you know, we wanted some certain properties to where the line, you know, was extremely round in profile, had a really small diameter, very high tenacity. And what we did is we took, you know, new developed uh, high density, ultra high molecular weight polyethylene, and we packaged that into an A carrier braid, which the carrier count of braids in the industry is a little bit of a misconception. You know, everybody's kind of getting hung up on how many carriers a braid is. And, you know, that really isn't that important uh, to, for performance and attributes. It is, but the way that it's braided is more important than the number of carriers. So like in a four carrier line, which everybody would know is actually braided in a one over one under configuration. So it stacks like this when it's braiding one over, one under. So let's say you have a 30 pound test four carrier and you have a 30 pound test eight carrier, they're gonna end up probably being the same diameter and the same tenacity, but you're using a bigger fiber bundle denier in less carriers on the four carrier that braid like this. So when you set it up on a, on a machine, only half of the bobbins have material, which creates that pattern. When you make an eight carrier, you're using a smaller denier raw material that's loaded on all eight carriers and they're braiding like this, two over, two under. So what happens is, is you're feeling a really 
fine denier material in a greater surface area. And you're not getting as many peaks and valleys in the braid as if it was braided like this with big denier as when it's braided with small denier like this. So the smoothness of an A-carrier line is dictated by how it's braided with two over, two under. Now, another aspect is you want to have a really smooth line. You can change what's called the PPI, which stands for picks per inch. So if you have one inch, it's how many times the braid crosses over within that inch. And so you can slow up the machine, you can slow down the machines to create more picks in that inch. So if you have the braid that's braided, let's say, you know, 15 PPI, it's like this. But when you tighten it up, it ends up making that braid kind of tighten up like this so that you're feeling less gaps in between the crossover of the braid, which ultimately makes it much smoother. So the SPJ line is an A carrier braid. It's got a really high PPI. And then we also ran a high tenacity core of material through the center of it. And the reason that that's all so important is because it's really, really smooth. It's small in diameter. It has really high tenacity, which is a factor of the material that's braided and the core. And then the core also allows for it to have a lot of body. So, you know, the braid itself can't collapse when it's under tension because the core will make it maintain its round profile at all times, which makes it pack really smooth on the reel. It's going to have a little bit of more rigidity so that, you know, when you're jigging, you don't have an issue with the jig necessarily wrapping, getting like a wrap around the line, or you don't have to worry about tip wraps. It helps with wind knots. It's really kind of the perfect combination of everything that I just talked about for this specific fishing application. It's amazing that you can have that much going on and have it that small in diameter. And then when, when you add all the picks that you talked about, when you add more within that inch, does that, is that increase strength then, or is that just more about making it smoother? It's, it's an interesting dynamic. So nothing in the fiber industry is very set in stone. It, not a lot of things make a lot of sense, but there's a happy medium. So if you go too high in PPI, it'll actually degrade the tenacity because it gets to the point where the fiber ends up cutting into itself mm, too sure. much. Um, so there's a fine line where you don't want it to be too low because you don't get the strength you want and you don't want it to be too high. But if you can stay within that window, you can you know maximize tenacity and the smoothness of the finished product. Well, three years ago, Tough Line and uh, Mustad began a partnership. Is that right? That's correct. So Western Filament owned the Toughline brand up until three years ago. And then we partnered with Mustad. They acquired uh, the Toughline brand from us and we have a contractual manufacturing agreement. And so, you know, what we really didn't do well as a company is, you know, being able to deliver in a timely manner. We have a lot going on where the manufacturing facility and, you know, most people don't understand this. Um, and I wish I could have a video to drop in now. We'll have to do another podcast and I'll get you some video content. But to make a braided fishing line, it takes about four weeks hmm. from start to finish. So the finished spool of 150 yards or 300 yards, uh, 
it, the process to manufacture that is four weeks. You start with raw material, you wind it onto bobbins, those bobbins go onto a braiding machine. If it's a 3,000 yard spool, that braider will run for 10 days straight without stopping, wow. give or take. Uh, yeah, that's for its own machine intensive because it, although the braider looks like it's running extremely fast, it's not really taking up the line very fast. And the more you increase the picks per inch, the slower it goes. Um, and then you have the coating process, the offwinding, the packaging. And so with all that being said, it takes four weeks to make that spool of fishing line. And Western Film it did not do a good job of being able to hold inventory and react to orders quickly. And so we're delivering slow. And, you know, we don't have, you know, the the bandwidth from a staffing perspective to really penetrate the market adequately because all these other brands, you know, they have so many different brands under their umbrella that it just made sense to, to partner with someone like Mustad. And it's been an amazing relationship because they're able to place very large orders with us. We're able to forecast and manufacture for them. We ship everything that we have to their distribution center where they can turn orders around for their customers within 48 hours. So it's incredible because we went from shipping to our dealers in four to six weeks to now two days. And the benefit of that partnership has been extremely valuable. And so we, we love it. Plus those guys, you know, are, are anglers and, and they know their stuff and it, it helps that they sell hooks and, and live target and all their accessories. And so, it just made sense to kind of, you know, partner with somebody that can help take it to the next level. Yeah. And, and good people. I really enjoyed uh, meeting a lot of those guys down at ICAST and uh, the work we've been doing uh, this year has been a lot of fun and tough, tough line talk. How many, cause there's three, there was three versions of the tough line, slow, the slow pitch jigging line, right? 10, 20 and 30 pound, if I remember correctly. And when you talk about the tough line lineup as a whole, there's quite a different, uh, quite a few different options, isn't there? There is, yeah. So SPJs, 15, 20, 30. Oh. And um, we have XP, which has been a staple product in the market forever. Um, you know, we have Force and Dominate. We have the Addictive lineup. We have MicroLED, LeadCore, Dacron, Fluorocarbon. Uh, we even have a biodegradable line that we just launched, which is pretty amazing, to be honest. It's, it's, it's hard to be able to convey the story with that individual product um, because there's a negative connotation with thinking that your line will degrade mm -hmm. because obviously an important piece of your tackle if you're catching fish. Um, but, you know, I talked about how Western filament does uh, things in the medical industry. You know, this, this product actually was developed or an implantable suture material that will biodegrade in the body of a human. And so we thought what better way uh, to release this into the fishing industry because, you know, UHMWPE fiber is essentially plastic. So if that breaks off and is stuck in the bottom of the ocean or a lake or a river, you know, that's going to last thousands, if not millions of years, uh, unfortunately. But biodegradable line it's going to last seven to 10 years. So you can fish that line without losing any tenacity for the first five plus years of its life, which if you're fishing, you know, 
and you're doing what's proper as far as changing out your tackle, you should be replacing your line every season, if not every other season at the minimum. So um, it's a way for us to try and be, you know, green initiative. I know that's a big push for Mustad in general. And so it's a, a unique product to, to hit the industry. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, uh, I know when you start talking about green initiatives and and getting rid of plastics and things like this, some people will roll their eyes a little bit. But, you know, we really have to plastics are terrible. Like what they're what they're doing for the environment, they're everywhere and they don't break down. Right. You have we have to be especially guys like us that are out in the wild and, you know, the whole leave no trace uh, aspect needs to be, I, I think, needs to be enlarged to other parts of the outdoor industry. And, you know, whether it be a non-toxic uh, trend to non-toxic options for weights and things like that or ammunition and then uh, getting rid of plastics. It just we're just it's it's going to have to happen like it or not. It's just going to have to happen. But that's a conversation for another day. Let's talk. Hey, let's talk about fishing real quick here before we let you go, Eric. Uh, you were just up on Vancouver Island. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Dang. What were you doing? You were fishing up there or what were you doing up there? Yeah, so I actually uh, I had to go to Seattle uh, first of all to see Boeing. We're working on uh, a deviation spec, so we went out to the Boeing facility, which is very impressive. Uh, nevertheless, fun fact: I don't know if you knew this, but it's the world's largest standing structure, their Everett facility. It's bigger than Disney World. Wow. Um, we walked the facility, and it took five miles to walk around a, a portion of it. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, being in the fishing industry, the Northwest is a great area. And so I was able to get out and, uh, do some fishing, went out into the Puget Sound and caught some salmon. Uh, and so that was a good time. And I, when I was in Orlando, I actually got a chance to do a little bit of bass fishing as well. And, um, so it's good to go out there and, you know, do some extracurricular activities while you're also trying to grow the business. And uh, obviously we got to do product testing. So. Uh, it's critical mm -hmm. piece of business. I the love most it. Critical, in my opinion. I love it when fishing is part of your work. That's the best. Do you, do, you know, you brought up Disney Disney World and bass fishing. We bass fished at Disney World after I cast this year. Mm -hmm. I don't know where you went, but well, we were there at the live target booth, the Mustad booth there at iCast, and these two guys came in with badges on that said Disney, and I'm like, Disney, what are you doing here? You know, and they're like, Oh, we got bass fishing at Disney World. I was like, what? So we went, we went to Disney world and, uh, we did a little bit of bass fishing. In fact, we got a video from it that you can see on the sporting journal radio YouTube channel where we went and, uh, and, and caught some bass, you know, we like, and, and normally they're 60 days out. Normally they're 60 days out on their, uh, on their guide trips, but they said, well, well, it, I said, we want to come on Saturday. And he's like, well, it's, we normally don't go in the afternoons. It's a hundred degrees, but, uh, we got a guy I'll take you out for two hours. So we went out there and, uh, and caught some bass at Disney world. It was crazy, Eric. That's awesome. So, uh, we didn't catch any giants, but, uh, we caught some nice fish. I guess they got 10 pounders in there, but, uh, but I don't know. It was pretty short notice. We were just happy to do it. So, all right, man. Well, I appreciate the time today. And if people want to learn more about Toughline and uh, Western Filament, what should they do? Just visit our website or give us a call and we'd be happy to educate you on whatever you need. And Toughline, that's, I didn't know the ultimate fishing line, TUF. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty that's cool. It. So, wow. 
color, but we, that one's on purpose. That's great. That's cool. Eric Knickerbocker, uh, appreciate the time today on the show. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybell Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybell Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. All right, welcome back. This is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. That's Dan Amundsen over there. Thanks for tuning in on this station by downloading the podcast or listening on demand at sportingjournalradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can watch a lot of our shows and follow along on some of our adventures as we're wrapping up from our Canadian uh, hunting and fishing trip. We've uh, had the cameras rolling and, of course, been doing the podcast from up here and the radio show. And you can, uh, you'll can you be able to see some of the videos from our trip up here coming soon to our YouTube channel. So check out Sporting Journal Radio on YouTube. Our guest right now is Randon Olson from Lockjaw Guide Service in Otter Tail Lakes Country. Randon, how's it going, man? Doing pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me on here. You bet. You've been uh, doing a lot of fishing down there lately? Yeah, I've been out pretty much every day, and uh, we can fall is definitely in the air. It's crazy, you know, that first, well, I suppose it was Labor Day weekend, it was here in Saskatchewan, it was 90 degrees, I'm sorry, Randon, it was 30 degrees here in Saskatchewan, which is 90 degrees Fahrenheit. You don't think of it being 90 degrees in September back home in Minnesota, let alone in Saskatchewan, and it was pretty hot there too. Yeah, it was pretty warm here. Um, you know, there's that little feel of the fall in the mornings, up high 40s, low 50s. But we've been, I think we touched 80 yesterday, so it was pretty warm yet. Hoofta. So, it, I, I mean, are, have you have you seen a change in the lakes at all, a change in temperatures, a change in patterns at all, or are you still kind of running summer patterns? Uh, we're kind of in the very beginning of what I'm seeing. We're just starting to drop water temps. Um, the fish are just kind of starting to show up a little bit on this kind of more classic fall stuff. Um, but there's also a good mix of, of regular summertime patterns. Um, today, for instance, we still found fish that I was catching back in June. So, okay. so there's still a little, little, little mixture right now. And it, it had been a little tough this last week, but it finally started getting better. Yeah, yeah, the fish have been really scattered around here. Um, still catchable, you're just covering a lot of water to find them. Um, and today we started kind of seeing some fish potted up, grouped up. Um, so it's a sure sure start that fall's coming and they're going to feed pretty good. We were fishing the other day, Rand, and me and Dan, and I almost suggested putting on crankbaits and then going like four miles an hour. <laughs> you got to try it. Is that how you were fishing this week, or were pulling spin? We were actually pulling spinners. Dan actually had a lot of success with a uh, butterfly butterfly spinner, which I've never really used a whole lot, and uh, it convinced me to go buy every single one of them at the tackle shop that were up here. And uh, uh, so we we still pulled spinners and, and crawlers. Actually, we're using uh, plastics, artificial crawlers on uh, like crawler harnesses, and having a lot of luck. Um, what what? Are you still like, like pulling spinners or you j- jigs or are you pulling cranks or what do you, what are you doing down there to find success? 
Yeah, like I said earlier, covering water has been a big thing. So crankbaits have been still kind of a staple, uh, especially if you get kind of off weather, you know, flat calm, something like that. Um, pulling crankbaits at, like you were saying, four to five miles an hour even, that's been the best ticket. And you're covering way more water than you will at two, two and a half. I feel like if you, um, if you it, were doing that and you hooked in, I was just going to say, I feel like if you were doing that and you hooked into a giant, I mean, you'd have to hold on for dear life. Rod holders help a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, the big thing, and you'll learn it pretty quick when you try it, is you got to have your, there's a kind of a perfect spot for your drag. Looser's better, but it's got to be tight enough to kind of hold it. Sure. Uh, so that's what you were doing this week is uh, power trolling. Power trolling most of the week. Uh, today we moved up shallow with, with jigs and plastics, and that was kind of the answer. Um, so that was a fun bite to get back on after pulling cranks for a while. Sure. And you were catching catching numbers. Were you finding uh, good sizes at all? Are the fish starting to get a little bit thicker? Oh, they're definitely getting th- thicker. Some of those fish look like deer with the amount of fat in their bellies, but um, they're, they're holding up pretty good. The bait's slowing down a little bit, and those fish are just rolling through bait clouds right now. So so it's kind of that normal fall thing. You find the bait, the fish are, aren't far behind. The normal fall thing for you, Rand, and I know is as much as you like chasing walleyes, you like to switch gears and go after bigger fish, those toothy critters. Have, have you been out for muskies a little bit already with Eric Osberg, haven't you? Yeah, we snuck out for a couple hours. We had one of those kind of cool muskie adventures. Both of us are you know, tempted not to even go because it was late at night. We weren't going to fish that long, and, and we ended up going out for four and a half hours and catching three and losing one more. Hmm. Man, that's a, that's a good night right there. I mean, that's better than some people do their whole lives. <laughs> Catching three months. I've only caught you. I, we had a, I've said this story a number of times on the show. We had a cabin on a muskie lake growing up, and granted, I didn't really chase them very often. I usually bass fish, and I, I think I caught two while I was bass fishing, and I've caught two muskies in my life. And so putting three in the boat, it's... Uh, you know, not that that's a great benchmark for any, for anybody, but uh, that's more more muskies than I've caught in my life. That's a pretty good night. Uh, and I'm, you know, and we fished together that one time for Prairie Sportsman, and we, I think you caught two. We saw six others or something like that. That I thought that was a pretty good day. And I want to re, I want to try to uh, not recreate it, but uh, do one better and put a few more fish in the boat. So you and I. And Dan and maybe Eric, we're going to jump in the boat here in a couple of weeks and try to chase some muskies around. Um, what are you hearing about muskie fishing right now? Um, they're kind of following suit with those walleyes. You're starting to see them get a lot more aggressive. Um, they're kind of in their favorite water temp, which helps a lot when that water starts cooling off. Kind of 65 to 70 is perfect for those fish. So um, we're seeing them moving shallower. Uh, there's still kind of some suspended stuff. A trolling bite is kind of there more or less at night. Uh, the, the, the casting bite is really kicking in good right now. So covering the ground, bucktails, topwaters, things like that have been pulling fish up. Then it's kind of up to you with the boat. Got to gotta trick them the right way to get them to eat. I know you've got a good selection of muskie baits already, but in anticipation, you know, say like Dan and I getting ready for this trip, I ended up buying, I don't know, uh, hundred and hundred and fifty dollars worth of crankbaits or whatever the whatever it was. 
Didn't use, oh, I used one this whole trip. I used one and bought all these, all these crankbaits because we caught everything on crawlers on uh, uh, spinners. But do you, do you still go out and buy new baits every, oh, you make your own baits. Have you made any new musky baits for this season yet? Um, I've made a couple bucktails for this season. Um, but yeah, I still go out and buy them. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. There's some kind of an addiction with fishing tackle in general, really, but musky baits in particular. Well, you can never know, have you, too much, you, right? You I mean, these crazy ideas and you want to try it. And... Yeah. Well, and, and, it, and it, it's, it, we, Dan and I had this conversation in the boat the other night. I mean, you don't want to be out in the boat somewhere and realize that something's working and then either lose it or not have another one or not have the right lure that the fish want that time. So, <laughs> you know, you want to be as prepared as you possibly can. And if that means going out and buying a bunch of lures, hey, that's what you got to do. Yep. And, and to your point with your crankbaits, a lot of times you'll bring 200 baits out there and you'll use one. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you have if you to have, have it. That's what they were biting on you, when you left. Yeah, you don't always know which one it's going to be in it. And yeah, I mean, you're going to use them eventually, I'm sure, or sell them in a garage sale someday, maybe, or donate them. But yeah. you got to have them. Uh, but the yes, so sir. I like to talk about preparation, get people ready for musky, the musky season, the fall musky season. So I want to ask you, you know, something. I want to get I want to get some advice from you for the listeners out there who are also getting ready. So this is a really important question to ask. Do you have a lure picked out for the next time that you go musky fishing that you're going to use when you when you set the net in the boat and you throw it into the net? Do you have a lure picked out to throw into the net yet for that next musky trip, Brandon? Tinkerbell. <laughs> I think that I think She's that's ready. A, what's that, Brandon? She's ready. She's ready. That's awesome, yeah. and and Tinker with Tinkerbell is the one that you made from a, a musket ball mold, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, it's the one I'm, from the show last last fall, and um, she's ready to go. She's ready to catch some fish. If you she haven't seen that, the net for a while. If you haven't seen that yet, go to prairiesportsman.org or the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel, and you can uh, search for Maplewood Muskies. Uh, that is the musky show we filmed with Randon Olson in Ottertail County. Uh, man, that was a fun show. Perfect weather, September, September day. And we're going to bring some cameras and do some fishing with you again. So hopefully we got some pretty good weather and uh, can have some more success on the water. And Randon, um, you, you have some open dates for guiding muskies this fall. Yeah, we got a few open dates left. Um, it's getting a little bit more to, to weekdays, but plenty of open dates yet, so... You can always just give me a call at 218-640-0158. Lockjaw Guide Service. That's Rand and Olson, Ottertail Lakes, uh, Ottertail Lakes Country, Ottertail County. Thanks for the time today on the show, man. I appreciate it, gentlemen. Thank you. Did you know there are more than 1,000 lakes in Ottertail County? Yep, and I'm going to fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. 
fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. All right, now it's time to talk to Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism. Joe, how's it going? Hey, Brett, doing good. Good, good. It's that time of year. Seasons are changing. The hunting seasons are here. Fishing is also, uh, of course, doing doing well. I know the hardcore anglers probably don't even think about hunting for a little bit because fishing can be so good this time of year, right? Oh, and you're spot on. I mean, you know, if you're if you're a a sports a sports person that gets out and does both, it's a very confusing time of the year. Which one do I do? And <laughs> You know, obviously, some of us hunters have to get a little bit of hunting in. It's the only time we can do it for the most part. You know, but I'll tell you, fishing is so good. And, you know, the water's cooling down. You got fish movements, which get fish, like on Lake of the Woods. A lot of those walleyes will be chasing shiners in the rainy river. So you got a whole bunch of walleyes from this big, big body of water get constricted in the rainy river. It's small water, good for a small boat. You don't have to have a ton of knowledge. You go and just fish edges and, and current breaks and stuff, anchor up and jig with a frozen shiner. I mean, it's not rocket science. And, you know, there's some really good fishing to be had. And, you know, everything is just starting to start now, uh, you know, with, with that fall run. So the shiners are starting to show up? You know, there, there, there's been a lot of shiners in the river already um, and throughout the summer. And I think that probably was due to higher current because of the higher water we've had. Now, the, the water levels are dropping, but there's still a lot of flow coming out of the Rainy River. And and uh, there's still, I mean, there's bait fish and there's fish in the Rainy River before we even started the fall season. So that's a good sign. And then, you know, uh, has it really started yet? I think it's just starting. But it's not hot and heavy yet. But, you know, the thing that is, is that, <laughs> you know, some people are going to fish the river this time of year and go and get some nice walleyes. And, uh, and and other people are going to go to the lake and, and hit the the bigger schools out on the lake this time of year as well because you know they're still popping as well. Do you think it's mostly just going to be a jig and a minnow, or do you think you still could? Uh, I mean, obviously you could probably pull some cranks, but some of those summer techniques, pulling spinners or Lindy rigs, something like that. Do you think that would be effective in the river up there in the fall? It absolutely is. I mean, I've done it, and you know, I'll tell you what. So right now, I mean, you know. Out in the lake, give you an example. On the lake right now, you know, uh, drifting with spinners is probably the most common technique right now that's catching the most walleyes. You know what? Uh, jigging is probably the second most common technique, and then pulling cranks, it's working very well. It's probably the third most common, and it's kind of been a weird year. You know, normally in the summer, in the heart of the summer when it's really hot, you know, spinners and, and the cranks are the way to go in the lake of the woods. And this year, you know, those fish were biting on jigs all year long, anchored up and jigging, or in some cases, drifting and jigging, um, which which is a little bit unique because for a while there, it, you know, it was so much better on lake of the woods, just anchored up and jigging over the side and being, you know, still per- perfectly vertical. But, you know, take that into the river. You know, absolutely. I mean, we got, you know, so Borderview Lodge has this chili bowl fishing tournament that's coming up um, in October. It's mid-October. I think it's on the, uh, gosh, let me think. It's on the 15th. Uh, yep, it's on the 15th and uh, of October. You know, it's a two-person tournament, and uh, I'll tell you what. There's going to be a lot of people jigging in that tournament, but there's going to be some people that are pulling crankbaits in that river, too. And, you know, the cranks, um, they, uh, they really let you uh, cover water. Those fish hit them like crazy. Um, it's a good search bait. And, of course, if you find a good pot of walleyes, well, then you can decide if you want to, 
keep whacking them with cranks, or if you want to then switch to jigging because you found some good fish that are, are kind of congregated. So the natural transition time is probably around November. Is that when, um, you know, most of the resorts kind of take a break and, and start gearing up for ice fishing? Can you, is, is there a lot of guided fishing available in the river in September and October? Yeah, so the, the, the charter boats and guides and things are rolling through October. So through October, if you want to come up and, and uh, jump on a charter boat or bring a group up and jump on a charter boat, or if you want to get a guide, whether it's on the, you know, the Rainy River in a small boat or going up to the Northwest Angle, absolutely available. And it's a, well, some of the best darn fishing we have. I can tell you, you know, up at the Northwest Angle, you know, October is a real popular month. I mean, you got, of course, you got good duck hunting, and but if you're not a hunter, you know what? You have really good fishing, really good walleye fishing. But another thing they do up there in October is they catch these crappies that are the size of a plate. I mean, they catch them just huge, huge crappies, and those fish get congregated, schooled up in the fall. And there's some different places that the guys up there know where to go. And that's also a very popular fish up there in the fall. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't forget about muskies. I mean, muskie fishing has been pretty darn good all summer long. And as the water gets cooler, those fish will. Uh, you know, turn on even more. And then the other thing is when those, uh, when it gets cooler on the water temps drop, a lot of the muskie anglers enjoy trolling shorelines and points and things like that with cranks and spinners. And they can put on some miles just trolling. And it's a really good way to find fish. Very effective. And for anybody going to, if they're going to go up and duck hunt up at the angle or anything like that, and if they're going to be going to Canada, there's some new rules out there about bringing birds back from Canada. It's gone back and forth a couple of times. You can read more about it on the uh, the, the USDA website, actually, are, are the ones who put out some of these rules. And uh, we've shared it on our social media channels as well, too. Joe, I'm excited to get up there this fall. Might have to do, we want to come duck hunting up there, and we might have to do some fishing, of course, while we're there. Yeah. I mean, we, we can't. Not well, you know, that. it's always a cast and blast in the fall. I mean, if, if you got the energy for it, you know what some people do, quite honestly, is, you know, and we got we got some real good duck hunting up at the angle. I mean, uh, you know, uh, hunting an island, hunting a point, hunting a neck down area where those divers are kind of cranking through. The other thing we have up there, of course, is layout boat hunting. And, you know, out of uh, um, well, a couple of the resorts out there, you know, Lake of the Woods is one of the few lakes in Minnesota you can do layout boat hunting where you, you lay in a flat, it's kind of a flatter boat out in the open water. And those ducks aren't pressured. They they keep coming right through the, the decoys you have. It's a pretty neat deal. But um, when people do that, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll, they'll get up and go duck hunting. They'll, get, they'll whack their ducks. They come in and have a big hearty breakfast. Maybe they take a nap. Some people will go, uh, you know, fishing at that point. Some people will go hunting again if, if they can, if they still got, uh, you know, birds they can shoot. Or some will even go grouse hunting if that up. If, if, it depends on where they're at. But So it's really kind of a neat time of the year, you know. Uh, it's the best time of year, if you ask me. And that's what we've been doing. We were goose hunting today, Joe. We did a little bit of fishing, and uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be heading home, and then we're home for one day, Joe. And then we're gonna join you down in Branson, Missouri. You know the uh, so I'll tell you what. If there's anybody out there, if there's any young aspiring media people out there, or not even young, if you're if you do any kind of outdoor writing or outdoor videos and things, and you want to get hooked up with a professional outdoor media organization the association of great lakes outdoor writers is a very 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 good organization you know i'll say this what what glow tries to do is they try to pull together outdoor media uh, destination professionals and you know outdoor companies and you can see what i have in those three groups of people mingling creates magic 
And I'll tell you, there's so many win-wins, and not to mention the great education about shooting better videos, photography, being a better writer, how to store your videos, how to properly edit them, where to, I mean, there's so many little nuances that people that go to this conference share with their colleagues that the education alone is well worth it. But I would just say if anybody is interested in, in pursuing that part of their life, whether it's for a career or even just on the side, you get your regular J-O-B uh, or your student, but then you start dabbling this on the side. It is a great organization to be involved with. Well, Brett, and you're, you're a perfect example. I mean, you came into a goal fairly recently. You, you're having this and, uh, you know, now you are actually, uh, not only do you, do you build relationships with others that are influential for your business, but you also are given back by helping people and teaching people too. Yeah. We're going to be doing a podcast seminar at, uh, at the Aglow Conference this year down in Missouri. So we're going to be trying to help people make better radio shows and podcasts, or at least help share our knowledge and experience that we've gained over the years. And I did join Aglow, Joe, after somebody asked me to uh, to come up to an event at, oh, let's see if I can remember where it was. Oh, yeah, Lake of the Woods, where we shot a whole bunch of geese. We caught a bunch of walleyes. Well, and you know but I'll, but I'll tell you this, Brett, all kidding aside, you know, we, we were, you know, we were working together for a long time and, you know, I was kind of, uh, just kind of mentioning glow to you a few different times, just because I knew that it would be advantageous for what you do in your business. And, you know, you, you are, uh, just a great addition to the organization. You make, you make the organization stronger, but I, I think you'd be the first to admit it also makes you stronger. Well, it did. It's been great for us. We've met a, a lot of great people. We've had a lot of new, uh, opportunities and experiences from, um, adventure ideas and content that we can do for this show or for Prairie Sportsman, the TV show. And, uh, and then it just from, uh, and also networking with, with sponsors and different brands to be able to partner up in some marketing strategies. So it, it, it's been great. And yeah, if anybody out there is a content creator of any kind, uh, in the outdoor space, this is a good organization for you. And then we get to go, we get to go travel to cool places, uh, around the country and see some cool things. So, uh, and of course, every, every so often that place is Lake of the Woods. And I'm excited to get back up there uh, this fall, Joe. It's going to be a busy fall, but I'm making sure to carve some time out there to get up to Lake of the Woods, of course. And if anybody else wants to plan a trip up to uh, to Lake of the Woods or, you know, I, 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 I'd imagine that people are starting to think about ice fishing up there quite a bit, Joe. Oh, you know, we're getting a lot of reservations already. I mean, I'll say if, if you have any uh, inkling and head up to LOW for ice fishing this year, and you, especially if you have dates you want to hit, a certain resort you want to get with, I'd, uh, I'd call and make those reservations now. I mean, just ice fishing is really popular. And um, right now you're going to get uh, some choices on dates and such, but it's filling up. I mean, the phones are ringing. As soon as we get this cold weather, as you can imagine, people start thinking forward and, uh, yeah, the phones are ringing. And if, if you've never been up there, you're not sure where to start. It seems intimidating because there are a number of resorts. It's a big lake. Uh, Dan actually used your website. When we booked a trip up there a few years ago, a family trip, uh, we used your website to, to figure out. We, we said, you know, this is how many people we've got. This is what we're looking for. This is the type of experience we want. And you can, you can search all that stuff on your website, Joe. Yeah, you know, we have a, we have a couple things. So we have all of our, our lodging um highlighted one one page so you can go through and figure out whether you're staying at the northwest angle south shore or any river and then of course you know the other part of it is it tells you you know who has fish houses for rent who has sleeper fish houses for rent and the other thing i'll say too is if you don't ice fish but you said man it'd just be fun to go up there and experience that big ice and try to catch some fish which you will and 
you know, all that jazz. You know, the, the resorts are full. Many of them are full service. So whether you stay in a sleeper fish house overnight, they'll accommodate you. If you want to stay on shore and, and just, uh, you know, either have them take you out to a heated fish house during the day and come back and have a nice dinner and stay on shore at night. Or um, the other option is some of them have ice roads. You can drive yourself out to the fish house at whatever time in the morning. Maybe you're an early riser and want to get out there cracking on. Maybe you want to sleep in and have a good breakfast and go a little bit later in the morning. I mean, there's options when you drive, you know, on your own. And um, But, but the, the resorts will take care of you, and that's what's so great about it. You don't have to be a hardcore ice angler with all the equipment to enjoy Lake of the Woods. They really provide just about everything for you. And I'll tell you what, sure makes life easy. Well, if people want to plan a trip and they want to be able to use that tool to uh, get that trip planned, where should they go, Joe? You know, use, use our website, and that is Lake of the Woods. MN for Minnesota, Lake of the Woods, MN.com. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you missed any part of the show and want to listen to it again, or maybe hear an extended version of some of these interviews, you can download the podcast. Go to sportingjournalradio.com, or you can watch this show on YouTube or Facebook. Search for Sporting Journal Radio. 